The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's Gabby, and welcome to What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Gabby. I'm the founder of What's Gabby Cooking, a food website. I'm a best-selling author, and now I'm a podcast host. What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine is your one-stop shop for all your food and cooking-related questions. We'll be talking tips and tricks, how to store food, how to put together meals based on what's in your pantry, and so much more. Plus, every episode, I'm going to be highlighting a super cool company that's doing awesome things in terms of home delivery, since we're all limiting the amount of time we spend at the grocery store. So without further ado, this is What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I just need to start off today's podcast with a hot tip. If you're not following Heather McMahon, you're just not living your best life. Like the woman who's also a dear friend of mine is just so full of joy and her content is on fire. I just want to start with that. Today's podcast has absolutely nothing to do with her. I just feel like I needed to share that with you. Okay. Happy Wednesday. Hope everyone is hanging in there. We are just going straight into things. A lot of you have been calling in with questions about seasonal produce as things are coming into season and the farmer's markets are doing delivery and farmers are doing CSA boxes and all sorts of stuff like that. So we're going to start hitting on that in the coming episodes. If you have any questions regarding you know, seasonal things that you're not used to cooking that might be showing up on your doorstep, leave me a voicemail. You know how to get a hold of me and let's get right into it. Here we go. Hi, Gabby. Uh, my name is Patricia and I'm calling from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. I've just recently started binging your podcast and I absolutely love it. I've learned so much already in just a handful of episodes. So I just had my son about six weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, he started presenting with a very serious milk protein and soy allergy. In order to continue breastfeeding him, I have to eliminate those from my diet completely, proving very difficult because apparently my diet was basically only consisting of milk and soy. (laughs) So I'm having a very difficult time. So in order to uh, continue breastfeeding him, I have to find, you know, some solid recipes that I can rely on and go back on when my family is having, you know, a meal with cheese or something like that. So I was wondering if you have, you know, a couple of go-to recipes that are dairy and soy free um, that I could, uh, you know, have in my arsenal and uh, cook fairly frequently. Thank you so much. Loving the podcast. Hi, Patricia. Great question. And I can't even tell you how many of my friends who have recently had babies who are having the same issue. So good news is, you know, you only have to cut out dairy and soy and cheese and all that for the length of time you're breastfeeding, which is who knows how long for everybody. Everyone's different. But yes, I totally get the fact that you have to change the way you eat while you're doing that. So I'm going to tell you exactly what I have told some of my other friends. One, right off the bat, you should look up coconut aminos. They are a soy sauce substitute. It's made from fermented coconut palm sap. It's soy-free, wheat-free, and gluten-free, and way lower in sodium than soy sauce. So it's a really good alternative. So I just want to preface what I'm about to tell you with that because a lot of the recipes on my site that are skewing more Asian call for a soy sauce and you can use the coconut aminos in place of that. So on my blog, if you hit the recipe index, there's like a, what's it called? Food restriction section. And you can sort by your allergy or what you're trying to avoid. So you can search dairy-free, gluten-free, nut-free, vegetarian, whatever it is. 
on the dairy-free side of things, there are so many recipes. A couple of my favorites include the spicy bacon fried rice, which has none of the things you can't have in it. One thing I always make a lot was whenever I'm trying to like avoid cheese for whatever reason. If I have a photo shoot or something for a day, I'm trying to just like whatever, eat healthy. The veggie fajita bowls with rajas are incredible. That's like a very pepper, like red bell pepper, poblano pepper, heavy meal. That's really good and very family friendly. I think you can easily add chicken, steak, anything like that. There's an avocado shrimp quinoa bowl. That's incredible. The Thai chicken coconut. I mean, there are so many dairy-free recipes on the site. And I think knowing that you have the coconut aminos, there are really great dairy-free yogurt alternatives. If you wanted to do like kind of a yogurt marinade or something on the recipe, there are options. And I know you're not going to be bored. Like, I think it just takes a little bit of adjusting your own mindset. Like I know that's been hard for a lot of my girlfriends that have to do this. You do it for your baby, right? So hopefully that's helpful. I'm going to link all these recipes in the show notes. And then if you go to the recipe index, you can search whatever other kind of allergy or whatever kind of food you're trying to avoid. And we are constantly building that out and adding more recipes and tagging everything. So hopefully that's helpful. But if I were you, I would start with the recipes I listed because they're A, really easy to whip up, which I know is the time is of the essence when you have a newborn. So hopefully you love them. Hi, Gabby. Uh, this is Suzanne from Washington, D.C. I'm a longtime follower, first-time caller, um, and I wanted to see if you have any suggestions for using wild ramps. And it seems like people have a lot of very strong, positive feelings about them, but I don't have a ton of them, and so there's a lot of options of things to do with them. But if you had a bag of ramps, you know, and could do one or two things with them, you know, what's the best way to appreciate them and learn about them? Also, pea shoots, if you have time to devote to that too. We have a small baggie of pea shoots and I don't really know what the best way to enjoy those is either. So would love your thoughts and thanks so much for doing this. Hi, Suzanne. Great question. Let's talk about ramps. So ramps, for those of you who don't know, are basically forage kind of like truffles. They're hard to find. Their season's incredibly short and nobody really knows how to describe them. You see them on like very chefy style menus sometimes, like very fancy restaurants have them. You see them at farmer's markets. Lucky for you, Suzanne, you're getting them in your CSA. So what are they? They are hard to describe, but I can tell you they are in the leek and scallion family, but they are, are neither leeks nor scallions and they're definitely not shallots. They're like a wild... I mean, the closest thing I could tell you, they're a wild leek, but they're not actually leeks. I like to saute them with olive oil and butter and add them on top of pasta or rice or put them on a piece of like ricotta toast. It gives you this really nice floral fragrance, like a floral taste on top. But they're a little bit more garlicky than a traditional scallion. I'll also say that. So like they can be powerful, if you will. They're very spring forward. It's a spring vegetable. So, you know, salads, any kind of stuff like that. You could make a risotto with them. That would be incredible. Pea shoots. I love pea shoots. There's a recipe on my site for the cheesy asparagus tart that has pea shoots on top of it. So pea shoots have been like a huge thing in Asian cuisine for forever. And I feel like we've been getting into them more in America recently. They're like curly Q pea tendrils and they just taste like peas. So I like to put them on salads, pasta, toast, like avocado toast, ricotta toast. I feel like I'm having a real ricotta toast moment. They're just a really delicate flavor. I never, you could cook them, but they're so delicate. They wilt down so quickly and I don't want them to lose that like pungent pea flavor. So I usually keep them raw and put them on top of things. They're also 
beautiful. So I'm very jealous that you have pea shoots because they're hard to find. Although Matt and Adam do grow them in their backyard. Like when I'm allowed to go over to their house again, I plan on, if they're still in season, I'll just steal some from them. Hi, Gabby. This is Elizabeth from Atlanta. I love you and all your recipes. I think our taste buds are cut from the same cloth because I like all of it. I love your tip about saving fresh herbs and olive oil in the ice cube trays. I was curious if you could do that with a full vinaigrette. Maybe the vinegar does something that makes that yucky. Let me know your thoughts. If not, how do you thaw it to put it in a vinaigrette or a salad dressing? Let me know. Love you. Thanks. Hi, Elizabeth. Great question. Yes. The short answer is yes. You can absolutely freeze vinaigrettes. Currently in my freezer, I have a basil vinaigrette, a cilantro vinaigrette, and the new lemon pecorino vinaigrette from my most recent cookbook, which honestly, if you guys haven't tried it yet, it is my favorite thing ever. You can absolutely freeze vinegar. No problem. Especially when it's like you've already made the vinaigrette, you've emulsified everything together, pop it in an ice cube tray, stick it in the freezer. Personally, for me, if I think about things far ahead of time, like with advance notice, which is not all the time, I will take out an ice cube tray, put it in a little like bowl and just leave it on my counter for a couple hours for it to thaw. If you don't have that kind of time, I would put it in the microwave for like 10 to 15 second intervals and melt it really slowly. Like you're just warming it through. You don't want to get it too hot because you don't want everything to spray all over your microwave and you just want it to be like a very mellow temperature. You don't need it to be, you don't need to cook the oil or anything like that. So I would heat it up very slowly if you're trying to like get dinner on the table in 12 seconds, but otherwise just leave it in a bowl on the counter for a couple hours. It's totally fine. Nothing bad's going to happen to it the day before you're about to use it. And now I feel like I need to go make all the vinaigrettes in my book and stock them in the freezer so I can have all the options at one time. Hi, Gabby. This is Brittany calling from Albuquerque. My question today is about mint. I have so much mint in my garden and I am drinking a lot of mojitos these days, but I want to know what other go-to things are there to do with mint and is there a good way to save mint? Thank you so much. I love listening to your podcast. Bye. Hi, Brittany. Great question. Gosh, I feel like spring has sprung across the country because we've been getting a lot of herb, mint, basil questions recently, but I am happy to talk about it, especially mint, because it is one of the most underutilized herbs in cooking. I'm with you. I will put it in a mojito until the cows come home or like any other sort of cocktail. But we're also going to talk about a couple other things, which we started to talk about on Monday, but let's elaborate. So the green pizza, the one on my blog, it's with asparagus, peas, mint, and burrata. Here's the deal. Asparagus and mint and peas and mint, they're both a match made in heaven. Like they're incredible. Something about the two flavor profiles together makes it sing. So when you combine all of them, plus burrata on top of a pizza with a garlic oil, your life will forever change. So you should definitely use mint for that. I make a cilantro mint sauce a lot of the times for protein, like chicken, beef, or fish. Um, It's kind of like a basil vinaigrette, except for instead of using basil, 
just basil. You could use basil, cilantro, and mint. You could use cilantro and mint. You could use basil and mint. But the mint really brightens up any sort of protein and gives it like a nice little pop of flavor that you weren't expecting. That's another great way to use it. I think it was two weeks ago I posted that crispy chicken thigh recipe with smashed peas. Again, we're back with the peas and the mint. The peas and the mint are so good. And when you combine it with the chicken, you're like, holy crap, this is delicious. I never thought about it. And it feels like you're in a restaurant, but you're not. You're at home because we are in quarantine. Keeping on that same wavelength, if you smash up, if you have leftover peas from that recipe and you smash them up and put them on a piece of toast or something with mint, some cheese, either ricotta, burrata, mozzarella, something like that, even a goat cheese would be truly spectacular. Oh, and then another thing in like Asian style bowls, like I have a couple of bowls on my website, like the Asian pork meatball bowls. Mint is a really great addition to that because it just brightens everything up and adds like this freshness that you wouldn't normally think to add into a recipe. Gosh, now I really want some mint. I have no mint. This is why Thomas needs to let me start a freaking herb garden. Okay, that's it for questions. Let's talk about more cheese. So I've known about Zingerman's my entire life, mostly because my family went to Michigan, like my literally my entire family, mom, dad, aunts, uncles, all the things, all the people. I remember when I was looking at colleges, they were like, you should look at University of Michigan. And I was like, absolutely not. It's cold there in the winter. It's only nice in the summer and I'm not going to be there in the summer. So I didn't go. But that's not to say I haven't heard of Zingerman's, which is an institution in Ann Arbor. I'm sure some of you have been before. It's incredible. Anyways, it's an online shop for food lovers and they have everything. They have oils and vinegars and sweets and meats and fish, tin fish, pantry staples, breads, pastries, all sorts of gifts for Mother's Day, but they also have epic cheese. Like you can get a cheese gift, which someone sent me recently. It was three cheeses plus bread and a gift box. And I was like, oh my God, this is all I want for my birthday forever and ever and ever but you could totally customize your own different cheese variety packs, basically. And I feel like it's an incredible company. I think it's family run, unsure. But if you need anything or you're trying to send a gift for Mother's Day, I thought this would be a really nice thing to do. It comes really nicely packaged. The cheeses are beautiful. They're all small, like family farms. So check them out, zingermans.com. It's epic. All right, that's it for today's What's Gobby Cooking in Quarantine podcast. Be sure to tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the foreseeable future until quarantine is over. <laughs> if you have any questions that you want answered, give me a call, 888-338-4429 and leave me a voicemail. Or if you have a super cool small company you know about that deserves to be highlighted, leave it as a voicemail as well. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen and follow along with What's Gobby Cooking on Instagram and Twitter. And for more recipes, check out whatsgobbycooking.com and I will talk to you guys very soon. Bye.